Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me Allie Williams slash only Allie Cat, who what? is a cosplayer, a model, an entrepreneur, as well as an actress. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. And now you've been involved heavily in cosplay for a few years now. How did you first get into this medium? Actually, it's a funny story. I was doing a volunteer event as Elsa with my friend Madeline Masquerade as Anna. She was visiting from Canada. I didn't have a performer for the event and she was in town and she was staying in my place. So I'm like, hey, you can pay me back by doing this volunteer gig with me. And so I went to Triplets for their birthday and they're all homeless. And we went to make their birthday very special. And then afterwards she's like, hey, there's this convention going on in Long Beach. Want to go? I was really put off by it because I've never gone to something like that before and it was really uncharted territory. I'm like, I won't know anybody. It'll be weird. And I went and it was awesome. Everybody was really nice. Everybody wanted to take my picture. I got free stuff. I made lots of friends. It was great. Now, did you go to this convention as Elsa? I did. That was my break on the scene was Elsa and that was Long Beach Comic Expo 2014. And now, did you make your Elsa cosplay? I did. Or? The corset I found at a garage sale, tore it apart and use it as a structure to build my costume on. But everything else, including the wig, I made. And so now you've cosplayed as many Disney characters since... How do you go about choosing what characters you cosplay as? Well, bottom line, no matter what I choose to cosplay, I gotta like know it and be into it and like it. If I'm not, there's a disconnect and I don't fulfill what I imagine it would be. I don't do the cosplay as well and performance and execution. So whatever it is, I have to love it and want to do it. So usually that's Disney, just because I grew up watching Disney. But I've also done Kieran from Monster Hunter, which that was for Call to Cosplay. And and I remember studying the game and being like, she's cool. I want to do that. And even my Nuka Girl cosplay, watching and playing the game and being like, that's amazing. I want to do that. This world's cool. So no matter what it is, I'm always, that's cool. I want to do that. I love this world. And now I think we alluded to it a little bit. What is your creative process when creating a cosplay? I first have to, like we alluded to, study the world and really find out who this person is. It's actually one of the reasons we're making our comic book for Nuka Girl right now is because I wanted to cosplay her, but she's just a billboard girl. There was no like character about her. So we decided to come up with one. And that background story for a cosplay turned into this bigger and greater thing. But definitely knowing the character and finding how things actually fit together, what they're made out of, are there layers to the costume, how does it go on and off, things like that. I really study and figure it out in my brain and then I go shopping and just start getting to work. And now about shopping. Cosplay can be expensive, whether you're making it or you're buying it. How do you balance your material costs? It's funny. I didn't used to keep track of how much I spent on cosplays. It wasn't until Frozen Fever Elsa was the first one I started keeping track of not only how much I spent, but the time, too. Because I'm like, you know, I feel like it's taking me a long time to make these. I wonder if it is. And wonder how much I'm spending. And part of me was like, I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to think about that it's a hobby it's fun I want to just not think about it but it is important because I can't get too carried away you know everyone's got their budget but luckily I have my business which is booming that I created and I have acting gigs here and there and I have a lot of money left over from winning game shows so I have my like play money that I've set aside but I try and keep it around 300 bucks a costume and then I just go from there because 300 bucks for the costume yes but then take it to the convention 100 bucks and then time off from work 
so it gets expensive. And now you mentioned that you create your own wigs. How did you, A, discover how to create that, and B, how does that entire process work? YouTube has taught me a lot, that's for sure. It's not a trial and error on anybody's part when they're learning a new skill, but YouTube and a bunch of different forums, and people can be really supportive and helpful when they want to be. And I've also studied wigs that I've purchased. How is this put together? The same kind of thing with puzzling and patterning and experimenting with a bunch of different products. I found that loose works really well because you can see where it goes. Whereas hairspray is kind of like, I'm just hoping it touches where I need to cover. You gotta have the right back combing brush. It's just a bunch of trial and error. It doesn't always work out, but I found that if you have the right products to work with, the right tools, and you have one of those heads you can work on. Not a styrofoam head, the real one, the canvas head. Because styrofoam heads are smaller than the human head. People style them on that and then put them on their head and be like, why doesn't it work? Which I've been there. And obviously there are many components to creating a cosplay. What do you find to be the most challenging element when you create your cosplays? I was just working on one today and I'm like, I'm going to take a shortcut and use a pattern that already exists. And I swear, I've never been good at following directions of existing patterns. I, halfway through, was like, why is this sewn like this? Screw that. And I threw the directions out the window and just put it together in my own way. I work and I love making my own patterns and I try and use other patterns sometimes, but that seems like the hardest part to me. Like finding materials sometimes can be tough, but in the end you'll find it. I get so frustrated when I'm trying to figure out what that little picture says and they don't explain it right. That's really frustrating to me. And now a majority of your cosplays are Disney princess cosplays. What influenced you to really go this route? My childhood. I was raised in a very Disney home. I remember there was a phase of my life where I had all these horrible bad dreams and I associated them with anything negative in my life and that meant anything that was rated PG or more. So I remember looking through all my Disney movies and finding out Mary Poppins was the only G-rated movie we owned and I watched that non-stop. We just had this whole big stash of Disney films and I just watched those all the time. We only had six channels on the TV so we weren't allowed very much TV time. My childhood was just Disney galore and then I became a Disney princess as an adult working in the park so it just never died and now I got my own business of Disney princesses. And now some of the Disney princesses that you have cosplayed as include Belle, Elsa, Ariel, Cinderella, Tinkerbell. How did these come about and walk me through how you created them? Belle I didn't make but all the other ones I did. They primarily came from my business. That's where everything started before I started getting into cosplay so my business princess me parties we go to kids birthday parties usually three to five-year-old little girls dressed as princesses. And I would get requests from parents. I want this character at my party, so I'd make the costume. And they're all a little unique. They all have my own little spin on them. They definitely allude to the original character, but they're my own take on it. Most of my Disney princess characters come from my business. How did you get into this business? Growing up watching Disney movies, I always wanted to be a princess. It wasn't until I was 21 that I was, I know what I'm going to do with my college degree. Come to Korean theater from Florida State and told my mom I was going to graduate and go be a princess at Disney World. She was pissed. So I did it anyways. And between Orlando and Anaheim, I worked as Cinderella for three and a half years. It was fabulous. But eventually you get tired and I just wanted to be on my own and have control of my own schedule. I tried working for a couple other companies for a year and it just didn't work out. I just couldn't sit back idly and watch a bad boss. Someone who shouldn't run the business 
business they were. I was too vocal. I cared too much about the people that were around me. I will put my job on the line to make sure that everyone else is cared for. And I did. I eventually got fired over and over again. I was like, screw you guys. I'm going to start my own business. And all those people came to work for me, which is pretty awesome. Sent all those companies into the ground. I'm now number two in Los Angeles. And it just goes to show you if you're a good person, you care about the people who work for you, your business is going to do well. And how do you feel about you being the boss of the people who hired you? It's such karma. Before I left, I tried to go in and talk with the bosses. I wrote up new contracts. I got all the performers together to discuss different options. I did everything that I could. So I tried to make it better. And when it didn't, to see their bad deeds come back and bite them in the butt was pretty hilarious. They still can change. I went from nobody to in two years, number two in the Los Angeles area with hundreds of companies. It's possible for anybody to change, I believe, in redemption. Maybe they'll get themselves together. Who knows? And now obviously each Disney princess is different. How do you get into character for both the party side as well as the con side? I love my caffeine. I think that's essential as I'm sipping on my cold brew from Starbucks. I think it's essential for any princess party or any convention because both require a lot of energy. I could put up that energy just from adrenaline, but I would go all day. And then I'll listen to and watch a clip or two. There's always a catch with each character, something that gets me in, whether it's a line from the movie or something physical. There's always a little something that I reach to each time that I get into character. And now, how does your business work? Just so people, if they're interested, have an idea of what your company does. Well, the parents do reach out to me. I'm usually the primary contact. If not, then one of my receptionists that I have trained to do my job with answering the phones and the emails. We take all their information for the party from the address to the number of kids to what they want. But for the most part, we have our parties figured out as to what works best for this age group and for the time and their attention span. Usually it consists of a little wishing ceremony to get all the kids together and then the tone and the theme of the party. And then we go into story time and we do a little dancing and we do some face painting. We take some pictures and sing happy birthday. That's usually how parties that we do go. After two years of doing this with my company, I figured out what works best in the beginning there was a lot of trial and error. I was like, these games will be amazing. I came up with this new awesome thing. These kids are going to love it. And they don't give a crap. Just want to walk around holding your hand. And you're like, I worked so hard on this game. And the kid doesn't care. Sometimes it's the simplest thing. We have a parachute. And I'm like, we're going to play all these awesome games with the parachute. And as soon as I lift it up, all the kids run under it. And they just giggle nonstop. That's happiness for them. They don't need all this coordination and all this planned out stuff. Sometimes it's something as simple as just being with their favorite character that makes them happy. I always tell the parents, we have all this stuff planned and I know what you want, but just so you know, it's a kid's birthday. When it comes down to it, the character will do what they want. It's hard for some parents, but for the most part, it goes over well because they work so hard to do all the other elements that when it doesn't go how they imagined it, it's hard for them to remember that it's not their party, it's the kid's party. I try and make that clear. It's loads of fun. And now to shy a little away from the business, you have just recently did a cosplay 
cosplay of Ariel as a schoolgirl. Mm -hmm. That's a little <laughs> bit more in the adult realm. What was the inspiration for this cosplay and how do you feel having Disney princess party side and then having uh -huh. this adult side? Well, they're two separate worlds to me and honestly, it's not so sexy that I feel like it would be a problem if a parent found it. I have a lot of parents who follow me on my social media personally and they also know me usually if they follow me on my personal social media. So they'll be like, oh, we know we can rely on Allie when she delivers a performer or herself to deliver what she says, which is not going to be sexy Ariel. Yeah, it's two separate worlds and I honestly don't mind because it'll never get to the point where she's an implied nudity or super lingerie. I think it's that perfect line. I was actually inspired for this particular piece by Jessica. She goes by Maid of Might and she does the slave Ariel cosplay. So I saw this three years ago when she first came out with it and I was like, oh my god, that's the coolest thing ever. I love Star Wars and I love Ariel. So the fact that she put them together just made me so happy. And I remember the first time I met her, I was fangirling over her. I was like, you're so cool. I want my picture with you. I saw over the past two years how she went from nobody to one of the big cosplayers. And I was like, that's super smart. So business-wise, I was like, what can I do that can get me and the top of the cosplay world so that that can help my acting career and make me desirable for that kind of stuff? What can I do? What has it been done? And that came to me, the Royal Princess Academy. And the plan is to do 10 different princesses all together. Ariel's the first. And it was a big hit. Super fun to make. Lots of fun to wear, and it's that perfect line of cute and sexy, which is exactly what I was going for. And obviously you're doing 10 of them. We're doing a big group, and I'm going to make some of them for my friends to wear, so I'll be able to keep some of them and wear them again. And we're all going to get together and do a photo shoot outside of a convention, so it's going to be awesome. And another cosplay that you're kind of famous for it is the Nuka Girl. I was watching my friend play Fallout 4, and I'm not really good with controls yet. I'm still learning. So at that point, he was guiding around, and I was like, choose B, say this, do that, and came across this billboard, and I was like, what is that? Because that's really cool. Is she in the game? And found out Nuka Girl is a billboard girl. And I looked her up. Only one other person at the time had cosplayed her and done an okay job, and I was like, I can blow this out of the water and this would be a fun challenge. I haven't made anything beyond sewing, working with other materials, so it'll be fun to learn. And so I put it all together and entered it last minute to an LA Cosplay Con and ended up winning grand prize at the costume contest. And that blew me out of the water and got me hooked again with competing. And now I'm doing four more contests this year. But like I was saying, there's no story about her. So we came up with one and we're doing the comic book and we got our Indiegogo out. We're hoping to like get it printed and hand it out to the fans. And it's going to be so cool. We got such a really neat story about her starting off as a Hollywood actress. And then the bombs drop and then she has to survive just immediately after the bombs. Her and one other person in the story have to survive this post-apocalyptic world. And now with that Indiegogo, what are some of the perks slash rewards? Our perks range from a shout out to a copy of the comic in physical digital form to a actual canvas copy of me and character. There's so many different perks. We're doing a calendar too, which I'm super excited about. A combination of photos from different photo shoots we've done in the character and then also new stuff that's all like themed to the month. 
So there's a bunch of different perks and it's going well. And now Nuka Girl has a really cool gun. How did yes. that be made? That's actually 3D printed from my friend James on Etsy, 3D prop and print shop. I looked into making one and at the time, because I only had five weeks to make Nuka Girl on top of the rest of my life, I commissioned and I'm really happy that I did because I didn't know exactly how I was going to make that. Doing the jetpack alone was enough of a struggle in trying to figure out how to make that. I might go back eventually and try and make the gun myself, but since I use it so much, having it all one printed piece is really nice because I can drop it and not have to worry about it. So that I didn't make, but everything else I did. And now how is the Nuka Girl cosplay received? People love it. So I was a little worried because I chose to make her a little sexier in relation to the time in the game. It was the Fallout world was kind of like a 50s world. So to have somebody with midriff and a little cleavage showing and short hair was like crazy for that time. If you imagine something like that in that time, so that was super sexy. And I was like, okay, so I can have a little fun with it since I'm making it for today's time. And that's where I had some fun with the character was making it a little sexier. So when I went to conventions, I was like, I hope everybody's okay with it. Whenever I do something that's a little sexy, I don't want to turn people off by it being too sexy. But I had girls, guys, kids, all appreciating it, all wanting to come up and take photos with me. Even if they didn't know who I was, just the whole look of it. It was something new, it was something different. It's bright white with red stripes and a helmet and a jetpack. It's cool looking, and that's how I was attracted to it at first, too. So it's nice to see that everyone appreciates it. And I think you just kind of alluded to this as well, is that there is a concern of how far you can push an envelope. How do you determine where your lines are? I've done a lot of really sexy photo shoots and things. There's pictures of me naked floating out there somewhere. As far as my world and what I show people, I want to keep it PG-13. That's just my place. You might see a little bit of skin here and there, but I feel more confident when I'm showing my abs and some boobs. It just makes me feel good. And I think it's like that delicate line in the intent. If your intent is purely for the attention, purely just to get people to compliment you and to make you feel good. If it's just an ego trip, people can tell. And it's a different kind of energy. I really enjoy making the costume. And while the boobs and the abs are flashing, my energy, I think, overrides that. I'm so excited to be in something I made and to talk with people about it that I don't care if that's what draws them to me originally. In the end, we're going to talk about my construction, about my character development, things like that. It just comes down to intent. And now you just mentioned some modeling that you've done. Your modeling tends to be a little bit more risque, which I approve. How did you get involved with your Snow Bunny shoot, as well as with Earl Fulcher, as well as with shooting with Timber Wolf? I started modeling professionally when I was 15. I was discovered and put into somewhere magazine for juniors. And I have kind of done modeling on and off ever since. It's not something I've pursued fully just because I'm not the stereotypical model and that I'm not really tall, I'm not underweight. 
it's just not my go-to or my main desire either. It's something I have fun with and that fits into everything else that I do. I actually met Earl in Florida at Full Sail. I did a film there and he was working on that and we've kept in touch ever since. He's one of the few people that I'll run around naked in the desert with and take photos with. There's a small handful of people that I feel that comfort with and he's such a good friend of mine. We've done some amazing pictures together that the majority of the world will never see. Just some really fun stuff and we just enjoy shooting together. And Timberwolf met him through a friend and he shot a bunch of headshots for me and done some modeling stuff for me. And the Snow Bunnies actually shot by my friend Ryan. That was during a trip that we took up to Big Bear. And I was like, let's do some stuff in the snow while we're at it. Let's have some fun. I take the opportunities when they come and modeling's just a back burner thing that just keeps popping up and I'll take the gigs when they come and when they're of value to me. And when you're on a modeling shoot, how much input do you have and how much direction do you take or is it a collective effort? It's usually a joint effort or led by me because of the photographers that I shoot with. They usually are, I'm going to take the pictures and let you model and they figure out right away like okay she knows what she's doing but I'm more than willing to like take direction I've been there too before where the photographer wants a very specific thing and it pushes me around and moves me around and I'll move around and do stuff but sometimes I don't know that I'm an inch away from where I should be or I need to twist my hand out a little bit more because I'm holding a bottle with a logo that needs to face this way and it's just a little off stuff like that it's usually a team effort and that's when it's really the best and now obviously you wear many hats between mm -hmm. modeling cosplaying your business and your acting which we're kind of get to in a few questions how do you balance your time between all of these entities for lack of a better word Today, for example, I woke up at 9.17 and was like, WTF, I thought I was going to sleep in today, I guess not. I started sewing around like 10 o'clock and I stopped around 2.30, 3.30 and had to go to the store, had to get some food, came back and then had 50 emails and phone calls from today alone for my business. Today's one of those days that I wish I had one of my receptionists working. I might need to hire someone on a regular basis. As everything that I put my energy into grows, the time requirement for each thing grows. So my goal with my company and the bottom line was to be a way to feed my acting and my other pursuits. So I wanted to be able to step away from it. So the fact that it's requiring more of my attention now is a happy thing, but it just comes down to really dividing my time. And the end of everything, I'm out here to act. And if I get an acting job, that trumps everything. But acting in Los Angeles is not guarantee and is not a lot within our control. I find a lot of actors can easily slip into depression, can slip into being desperate. So in order to stay in a positive state and feel in a place of control and money-wise, I created my business and it's all working out. You mentioned <laughs> acting. How did you first get into acting? I think it just came to like playing make-believe on the playground as a kid. I was pretty to myself until I met my best friend for many, many years, Charlie, and we just connected. And we acted out everything on the playground and just had so much fun. And I think in like the fourth grade, I was working on a stage production of Anastasia that would take place on the playground, the recess. 
At that age, I was working on leading and directing a full production of an hour and a half film as a 10 year old. That was definitely the start of my acting was make believe on the playground. And then I got into the 4-H speech program. I won that school-wide when I first entered it in fourth grade. Was runner-up the next year. I started doing community theater around that time and then pretty much stayed in theater until I started to dabble in commercial work through modeling in high school. And then by the time I got into college, I realized how much of a commitment theater really was. And I decided I didn't like being in a box all the time is that same kind of concept with the studio with modeling to be committed to being in that box it wasn't quite worth it to me it didn't fulfill my need to travel so I went over to the film school instead at Florida State and did like 20 or 30 films in my two years there between background work to leading to supporting to costumes I did a lot and yeah I've been in film and commercial work and tv work ever since and now what type of altogether training did you have developed that skill in college? There wasn't really a specific technique, but it was just general acting. I really enjoyed the character development side of it, which I guess that's what acting is. One time for a two-minute monologue, I wrote 30 pages of character background. Sometimes where it just connects. I understand this character and I really get into it. And I think the more you know the character, the easier it is to just be that person on camera, on stage. And now you've appeared in a variety of things, ranging from shorts. Some of them include Scarlet switch ticker celestial guard the short everybody the short to name a few how did these productions come about majority of what you just named are all student films that's kind of where i got started with the film world was through working on student films so a lot of volunteer stuff even one of those was like a student film here out in los angeles and a couple were for like film contests and things. So all like small stuff. I definitely believe that everyone's gotta pay their dues and move up with things and you can't ever stop learning. And the more you work on things, the more you connect and the more you grow as an actor. And then also you were in Batman Death Wish as Poison Ivy. How did that all happen? Craigslist? I was out here I think for like a month, if that. And I was looking over Craigslist and there's a bunch of trash on there. But I came across this and I'm like, this sounds cool. This sounds legit. I got a Skype audition that day, was given the sides in the Skype meeting, went over them and just went for it and nailed it. I love playing villains. I don't get to do it that often because people think I'm nice. So when I get to play a villain, it's just so enjoyable to me, especially with Poison Ivy. I just had so much fun with it. And I got to reprise the role actually a music video and costume got even better because the Death Wish short film took off and they had all this money and I'm like yes I could come back do this again so good old Craigslist there's some gems once in a while and now as I stated before that we're kind of going through some of your other stuff you've been involved in TV including Rules of Engagement CSI New York Tattoo Nightmares Blood Relatives Superheroes Huh Miss Murder <laughs> and Hello California how do you get booked for TV a lot of those I got through a casting website that's out here in Los Angeles called LA Casting. As non-SAG, it's easier to self-submit yourself to roles. It's almost like Match.com for those of you who aren't aware of what LA Casting is. It's where actors meet directors. And we're looking for this type of person. You're like, oh, I'm looking for this kind of project. And like, oh, I'll connect you and you connect me. And I submitted to those roles and auditioned and got booked. That's how it works. 
You were also in a mini-series, Fallout Nuka Breakout. How do you feel about being part of this, considering you have the Nuka Girl costume and you got the comic book thing going? You got a lot of stuff dealing with Fallout going on. I'm good friends with Wayside Creations, who put on Fallout Nuka Break and actually got their blessing recently, which was pretty nice. It's Bethesda's property, so we're all fans in the end, so it's not like Wayside has the rights to them, and neither do we. So when they heard what we were doing, they were like, yeah, that's awesome. Currently they're not working on a another season of Nuka Break so it's not like I'm committed to working on that so I can work on the comic book. And also you've worked on some films such as Nightman, Asphalt Angels, Rebound, Nursery Rhymes to name a few. How does working on films come about with you and how does it differ from the previous two? Films usually can be a bit more of a time commitment just because they can sometimes shoot for like a couple weeks or months uh, depending on the role. I know a lot of independent films that I've worked on because they're independent because these people who are putting that on are doing it more as a hobby or a passion. They're not working normal hours so what would normally be like three weeks of work might expand over like three months. So we do a day here, a day there, a day here and it's like watching your favorite show and only seeing it every other week or once a month and trying to remember where you left off and jump back in. It can be challenging whereas with TV like we can shoot really quick and get a lot done and that's just the way it moves so it's different in the energy that's for sure. And do you prefer film, TV, shorts? Do you prefer one over the other? Not really. There was a time when I was like, I'm only going to do movies because they're the only people who get out and see the world. I don't be stuck on a soundstage all my life. And then Game of Thrones walked into my life. And I'm like, dear Lord, if that's my TV show that I'm on or something like that, where I get to go out to Iceland or out to Scotland for a week, that sounds great. And that opened my eyes and made me realize that there's so much more to each different format. I'm open to all of them. It comes down to the role in the project. And back to that original passion and desire to do it. So if I like it and it's valuable to me, then I'll do it. And now I think there's a connection between cosplay modeling and the television film industry. Do you feel that those three industries kind of work off each other and build off each other and really help your career within each other? Most definitely. If cosplay wasn't feeding into that other part of my world, my acting, then I wouldn't be doing it. I do enjoy all the elements as far as the construction, the competition, the meeting the people and stuff. But in the end, if it didn't do what I'm out here to do, which is act, if it didn't help that, then I wouldn't be spending the time I am on it. I'm here to act. That's my bottom line. I had a friend the other day ask me, how do you make money on this? Not directly, but indirectly. You hear actors who get booked on projects over somebody else because they have X number of followers. That's a thing. It's unfortunate, but as a business person, I understand it. So if they have two equal actors and type and performance, and it comes down to who can help their production succeed, and they go with the person who has more connections and the bigger fan base, I get that. It sucks, but I get it, because we all want the part. It all definitely works together, and it's perfect how it's all different stuff, but it all is under the same creative umbrella. And now we're wrapping up. Now you've been involved heavily in the entertainment industry, whether it's modeling, cosplay, film, TV, shorts, as we just were speaking about. What advice do you have for people who want to get into any of these sectors? 
It's a marathon. That's the bottom line. People think overnight success is a thing. It's not really. Like, you may be that one in a million who strikes it lucky on your first try, but that's not how it goes. And you can't expect that. In the end, you have to put out your best and really apply yourself. Focus. If you want it, go out and do it and commit to it. There's this famous quote from Will Smith, there is no plan B, only plan A. And while I totally think that's an awesome way to think, I created my business because it's a way to support plan A. And plan A survives all else and helps me survive the marathon. I did my research 10 years. 10 years is overnight success. And that's like getting your PhD. If you're a doctorate in acting, then you're an overnight success. You are suddenly booking the big parts because you have the skill to compete and to make people want to watch you or whatever the skill is that you want. It takes time. And we're in such a short attention span that we've all created with all the social media and everything else out there. So just go out there and give it your best. No, it doesn't happen overnight. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, website, your business's Facebook. You can get everything through my Instagram at only, A-L-I-C-A-T, at only Alleycat. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. And we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as give us a follow on Twitter at popanimecomics. Give our Facebook page a like. It's popanimecomics. We have an Instagram. It's popanimecomics. And until next week's episode, everybody, have a wonderful week.